Welcome to the How to Get a Job podcast. In this podcast, we help take away that fear of graduating without a job and instead teach you the strategies and skills required to land your dream job. So if you're ready to master your career, land the job of your dreams, listen for more. All right, welcome, welcome, welcome back to this episode of the podcast. Today, I have an amazing, amazing guest. Uh, full of experience and someone that is solving some of the biggest problems in career. I have David Fano. He is the CEO and founder of Teal. David, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Love talking about these topics and you know everything we're going to dive into. Yeah, I know. So you know, before finding Teal, tell us about yourself and how did you come up with the idea of finding Teal and what is Teal? Oh, wow. So it's a windy story, uh, which ties ultimately why I'm excited about what we're doing now. Um, but I was originally like an artsy kid. Uh, I, you know, I think in high school, my senior year of high school, I think I had like six hours of art or something. Um, and, you know, my dad said, that's not a real job. I want to be a comic book artist. He's like, you can't do that. He was a builder, contractor, immigrant from Cuba. And, you know, that's just like, you don't get to go be like a comic book artist. So I looked for something that was in the middle, which was architecture. It was kind of a combination of like a real job and getting to be creative. Um, so I went to architecture school for my undergraduate and then started to look, I really developed a passion for technology while I was in uh, undergraduate school, learned to like initial web development, 3D modeling, and then was lucky to go to a grad school at Columbia that was very digitally oriented. And, uh, and that was kind of like my leap into technology, you know, 3D printing, CNC manufacturing, coding, uh, ultimately when I worked at a really cool architecture firm, but that's kind of when I started to do career pivots in that architecture wasn't for me. And what I realized is that my passion was in building, not buildings. I liked making stuff and I liked the speed of which I could make things. And that led me closer and closer to technology. Yeah. And, um, so then I, I started a consulting business that was focused on technology implementation. We had a lot of really amazing clients like Walt Disney, Google, Apple. Ultimately, WeWork became one of our biggest clients and they acquired our business. And uh, then I went and was the chief growth officer at WeWork for, for four years, grew a team from hundreds to thousands. And that's where I really developed my passion for career development and career pathing and, and became really aware of what I call the infrastructural disparity between the employee and the enterprise. Yeah. Um, and we've tried different things over time to sort of aggregate the workforce to give them power over the company and not going into like labor and Marxist stuff more. So just that like a collective infrastructure, you've got this big enterprise and you got the individual employee. And I got really excited and kind of obsessed with building infrastructure for the workforce that belonged to the workforce, went with them from job to job and, and helped them grow their career. I think that's interesting uh, because a couple of things like in a little bit of my experience, right? When I was as a college student, right, and I'm looking for jobs, I, I assume that the companies have all the leverage, right? Like, it's like, they have all the power. I, I, they, I need them, like, and they don't need me. Like, they have thousands of other students who are graduating, you know, ten, tens of thousands, millions of students who graduate, right? And uh, luckily for me, like, I had multiple job offers when I grew uh, when I graduated, when I, when I graduated. And, um, and I remember my first six years in corporate America were at PepsiCo. And I remember sitting in this leadership meeting, like I'm like relatively new, right? And they're talking about how they're struggling to find people for their management training program. This is PepsiCo, mm -hmm. Fortune 500 company. And I'm like, um, uh, question. So you're struggling to find 20 people 
for your management training program for the Southeastern United States, yet you recruit at five universities, which those universities alone graduate 100,000 candidate, uh, graduates, and you don't even, doesn't matter what major, you, you, doesn't matter what major you can become a, a management training program. You have 100,000 people pool and you struggle to get 20. And that's when I realized that the, actually the, the, the candidates have a lot more leverage than we think we do when we're in the other mm -hmm. side of the table. And, and that's where like, I think that's where I started realizing that there's this miscommunication, right? Like there's like, there's like this bridge that's broken in the middle of what job seekers are looking for and are finding and struggling to find. And then what companies they're struggling to find. And then now there's this industry of staffing in the middle that is like charging so much to fill that out. But when you're starting out of college, staffing agencies won't touch you, right? They're just like, you're like not hireable or like not feeable. It's kind of like what they would call. And I think I agree like that's, and it, it, to me, I'm like, it's not even that it's a like a labor against companies. Like there's this miscommunication. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, I mean, it's a, at the end of the day, like I feel that there's, there's time and then there's like impact Yeah, and companies, you know, look, they don't have infinite money, right? I make the analogy, you know, that money is like oxygen in a scuba tank when you're scuba diving, like it's gonna run out, you can replenish it and companies that are really, you know, successful are able to consistently keep it replenished. But that's not automatic. And so depending on the company's scale and business model, they can play the short game long game. Right. So, and I like sports analogies. There's a reason sometimes I will trade my, you know, first draft pick for the next three years and get an amazing quarterback because I think they're going to perform on day one versus drafting someone in, you know, the second round that I think is going to be amazing, but I know there's an investment. And so it, it's a tricky thing. But what I try to do is like really look at it objectively. And I think a lot of people look at it emotionally. It's like, oh, why won't they take a chance on me? It's like, yeah, because some companies can't take those bets. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't do everything in your power to de-risk it for them, right? Show them the skills you have, show them the experiences you have. And I think where a lot of people, like both are, are clear-ish, I'll call it, on what they want, but then enter like recruiters that do that translation for them, yeah. right? They take a candidate and say like, hey, no, 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 this is what they're saying you want. And you have those skills, they're just not on your resume. Let's like, let's package you up right. Let's sell you right to the company mm -hmm. because- and that, that's kind of like the big disconnect I see is people approach it as like, look, I'm awesome. Look at all these amazing dimensions of me. And the company is like, look, we only really care about one dimension. And we want to know that you're really good at that one dimension. And that's a big part of the disconnect. Yeah. What, oh, another thing I noticed too, is like, because of the way, like I, the here's a big problem, right? Like the internet has made it very easy for us to apply for jobs, right? Like it's no longer like maybe mm -hmm. back in the day, you would apply to jobs in your city that you could drive to and personally submit an application. But now because of the internet, whether it's Monster Indeed, LinkedIn, or universities use Handshake, you can apply to hundreds of companies. And, and I and I spoke to students all the time where they're applying to hundreds, if not thousands of companies. Now, because of that, because the internet has made it so easy for you to apply, it's now made it very difficult for you to get noticed. Because now it's how do you handle all those applications that companies have like how does a company then how handles like a company like google or like a company like we work would handle ten thousand applications for their management training program right or or their whatever program mm -hmm. they have like and that to me becomes an issue like how like how do you identify from those thousands of applicants which are the best ones or which ones should we hire 
All right, as you guys know, every single week, we come here with the best career advice possible. As much as we want to personalize this, it's very general advice, but we know that everybody's situation is a little bit different. So what I've done to reward our loyal listeners is I've opened the calendar for my career coaches and mine so that we can have one-on-one strategy sessions with a handful of listeners every week. So if you want to take us on this offer and schedule a 30-minute strategy session with me or someone on my team, Hit the link below and I'll see you there. Yeah, so there's a lot of things that go into that. Um, and I think, unfortunately, people try kind of gimmicks to stand out. And that's ultimately like not what's going to save you. But I think first is understanding the process, mm-hmm. right? I think, sure, there's going to be 10,000 applications, but generally the people that apply faster are going to get seen, right? Because the way recruiting works is a company opens a requisition, the people start to apply. You know, after the first batch, there's probably people they're interested in. They start to move them into the interview process and they stop looking at the new ones, right? So I think that there's an aspect of speed, be early, be quick, be looking at the companies you're excited about, get applications within the first seven days. Not always, look, some positions that are hard to fill, you know, might take six months to fill, but those tend to be like very specialized senior positions. Mm -hmm. You know, the the higher volume positions, they usually can probably find a candidate in the first week or two. And now their process is moving. They're past. So I'd say that's step one, be quick. Step two is make sure that you present why you're qualified for that position. I think a lot of people just make the same resume. They send it out to everybody and they, it's very general, especially young people. It's like, Oh, I can do anything. The truth is most people don't want to hire somebody that can do anything. They want to hire someone who's got clarity on what they want to do. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, I want to be a PM. I'm excited about being a PM. I want to grow a career in a PM. And like that may or may not be true. I'm not saying to lie and be disingenuous, but have conviction. Right. Like companies want to hire people with conviction and make sure that that comes through. And, and I think a lot of people actually think it's the opposite. Well, if I'm willing to do anything, they'll hire me because I can. they can just plug me in anywhere. But you're actually putting the onus on the company then to actually make decisions for you to figure out what you want to do. And that's where I see these people struggling. So I think it's when people understand, let's call it like the brief, the job description, create application materials that speak to it with clarity and conviction, you know, they'll they'll get the call back. Yeah, no, I think a couple of things that really stood out there, um, David, it's like at the end of the day, and you mentioned this earlier, every company has limited resources. It doesn't matter the size of the company. And because you have limited resources, anytime a company decides that, hey, I'm going to hire you, they're making mm-hmm. a, an investment, right? And like yep. every investment, there's a risk versus a reward. And that's what you have to balance. And so if you don't have clarity on what you want to do, you actually could have the skills, but then your risk is higher because Maybe you don't want to be here. Maybe six months you're gone somewhere else because you don't even know if this is what you want. And so when you have clarity, it lowers the risk and allows the employer to see, okay, where, where do you fit now? But where can you fit in the future based on what you're communicating? Yeah, and I think people really approach it as this like emotional thing. It's like, why do they force me to have clarity? It's like, they're not. No one's forcing you. This is a free market for the most part, you know? And so- Think, put yourself in their shoes. They're make just like you said, they're making an investment. They're making a bet on somebody. The last thing they want to do is make a bet on somebody that they think they're going to lose in six months. And then it's not personal. They're not trying to stunt your career. They're just trying to be successful. And so if they have to refill that position in six months or have to give you extra training, all these things are things that present 
friction and possible reasons that they may fail and they might fail. And the person who's hiring you is putting their reputation on the hire on the line by hiring you. I think a lot of people also miss that. They think it's this like very empirical, purely like logistic thing. And at the end of the day, it's not, it's a very human process, right? There's a hiring manager. There's a recruiter who essentially put their reputation on the line. And if they make enough bad hires, they will then lose their job because there and so it's not just about like i have the skills why don't why don't they believe in me it's like no no no. it has you need to make them feel like by them hiring you they will be more successful it's ultimately about them at the end of the day it's not about you yep and that that right there takes us to like a really good point it's like you know your first round is generally with a recruiter or like an hr before he even gets the hire manager and it's Mm -hmm. like once the, the recruiter gives you the green light passes you forward to the next round they're your biggest ally, right? To, to what you say, like they're now a representation of you. The better you do, the better they look. If you go mm-hmm. to that next round and you start cursing the manager, do you not think the manager is going to go to the recruiter and be like, what the heck are you doing? Why would you bring that person to me, right? First, uh, and the other point, if you didn't go ask the recruiters, like, hey, thank you for, for thinking that I'm the right candidate. What advice do you have? What advice do you have to prepare myself for the next round? They're a lot likely to help you prepare for the next round because- you're a reflection of them. And just like you want to do a good job, they want to do a good job. And so looking at it that way could possibly uh, positively and negatively affect your job search on how you look at this. A hundred percent. I think people miss that because they're, it, look, it's, it's a very overwhelming process. And it's like, everything feels like an attack on you and re- a rejection, a ghosting. But the truth is, it's really not the case. It's the person themselves. They're thinking like by moving this person forward, is it going to move my career forward? Yeah. Right. Yeah. To your point, if that recruiter keeps sourcing candidates that the hiring manager doesn't like, ultimately they're going to go back to their boss and say, Hey, look, this person's just not working for me. They're not sourcing me the talent I'm excited about. Yeah. They are not understanding the brief. And so it's not, it, it's personal in the other way. It's the person trying to be successful. So when you think and think about it that way, it's like, what can I do to make that person successful? And ultimately, like, I'm going to be able to draft off that. Yeah. And even like when you think about the question, like, tell me about yourself. Like, it's like, it's really not about yourself. It's like, tell me about the parts of you in your past that has gotten you ready to solve my problems. Like, that's it. Like, it's not about what happened to you when you're nine years old. Like, no, no. What about your past has helped me, has helped you get ready for technical and soft skills, get ready to solve the issues that I am hiring or that I am trying to solve by hiring for this position. Yeah, I actually, I just did a post on TikTok like two weeks ago about that. Um, and, and I sort of opened with stop answering interview questions literally, because I think people take the question like truly at face value, but that's actually not what it's about. Right. When, and people think they need to answer the question, like very specifically, like, Oh, tell me about a time like that you failed at your job. It's like, no, I don't actually literally want to know about a time that you failed. The question behind the question is I want to know how you recovered, how you learned from it. But people take the questions like incredibly literally and sure we can do a better job of like asking the question behind the question, but that's a little bit of what you're looking for and how the person interprets it. So tell me about yourself is such a perfect example. And it's honestly, I think, um, Steve Dalton, who wrote a great job search book, I think said like 30% of hires are made like almost on that question. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, then like the, you know, but a lot. And if the person like goes on and doesn't have the self-awareness to like then talks and it's like, no, no, no tell me why you're the best person for this job is really what they're asking. And maybe give me a little bit of like personal information, but, but not a lot. That's, I don't want to actually know where you grew up. Yeah, Some recruiters might say, I really want to know, but 
yeah but but that's because party. you're finding commonality <laughs> you're finding ways to connect and that's like fine yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's great but i think you do that during like the small talk when you get to the interview or before you start the interview but like I, I, just a simple framework on how to for anybody listening on how to answer that question properly here's what i found with our clients has been very very successful very easy present so like my name is daniel i'm a marketing student this gpa graduating this time right uh past so what past experiences have you done that's going to solve that problem so whether you did an internship bring the past experiences that's relevant and then future right the clarity that we talked about earlier in this episode and talk about the future what you're looking in this company why you think you're a good fit how you're solving those problems and how you're proactively thinking about it um but yeah even like when you think about like um behavioral questions like or like tell me about a, a situation where you've had to work with a difficult team member like yes that's the question but you should be thinking through why are they asking me that question, right? right. And most likely is because you're going to deal with difficult customers or difficult team members in this role. So how you react to that or how you dealt with that in the past is going to be in the, a good indicator of how you will do this in the future. And so like to your point is what is the reasoning behind each question? Because most questions are not just there to just ask you questions for fun. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's the question behind the question. Yeah. Like really answer what, you know, and, and focus on like the intent of the question, right? And I tell people, it's like most of the time they want to know how you think, right? And I think this happens a lot like in product management yeah. where you get these like in, these like cases and they're like, okay, we're going to design, uh, you know, design me a lawnmower that, you know, I don't have to use it. And, it's, and then the person takes it like super detailed. They like start to think, it's like, no, no, actually, like the question is like, why do we even need a lawnmower? Yeah. Right. Like, is there a better solution? That's really what they're looking for. It's like, oh, you just took the brief and ran with it. You didn't question it. You yeah. didn't see like, why do we need this? What's the business impact? Should we even be making a lawnmower? Like maybe a weed whacker is the right solution instead of a lawnmower. And that's what people want to see. But like, no, but I literally answered the question. It's like, but you didn't. You yeah. didn't answer the question. You yeah. didn't. You didn't. Um, like you didn't give them what they were looking for at the end of the day. Yes, you did answer the question, but you didn't give them what they wanted. Yeah, it's, it's so important. And even just to think through like, and this is more for level entry roles. Like you, we have to remember this. Like most of the time when they're, when they're hiring you out of college, they're not hiring you because you're an expert at something, right? They're hiring you because you have foundations, right? And they can then teach you and educate you on. So you thinking that you need to go into a company and know everything is false. Instead, you should be there and say, I'm, I'm a sponge. I'm learning to learn. I'm coachable. Um, I'm eager to fast learner. Like I'm resourceful, right? All these things are more important than you saying, I know everything, right? Like on a scale, like if you were to rate your skill sets and Python, what would you rate? I'm a 9.7. Like, come on. Like you just like, there's a lot of room for growth. Yeah. And I think another thing that people miss out on is the power of asking questions. Yes. Right. Because I, I, I hold that the number one most important thing in an interview is confidence. Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of the day. And I think being confident to ask questions doesn't show that you're like timid or intimidated. You've got a confidence. So to ask clarifying questions, I think is one of the most confident things you can do. You know, so if someone asks you like, hey, well, what was a hard time? Oh, well, do you mean like with a customer? Do you mean with a colleague? Do you mean like in a high pressure situation under a deadline? It shows that you're processing the question, you're listening, and you're able to kind of advance the conversation. And so that's why I think having good follow-up questions that are thoughtful are oftentimes one of the most powerful things you can do. 
Yeah, and not having to wait until the end of the interview to ask those follow-up questions, right? Like there's this, like to your point, there's a level of confidence that is required for you to like answer the question they ask you and say, and I would love to understand, is this something that I will encounter a lot in this position, right? Like, so when you have follow-up questions to their questions, it, it, it also shows a confidence, helps them understand like you're interviewing them just interviewing you because that's the reality, right? It's not a... And they talk and at the end they say, do you have any questions for me? And then you then ask one, ask two questions and it's over. Like it should be, there's a conversation versus like this one way, the better both sides. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the things I tell people is like, if you don't feel like the voices are 50, 50 in the interview, then something's off. If you're talking 80, 90% of the time, something's not right. If you're not teasing out conversation from the interviewer and they're not engaging and wanting to participate and telling you things, then then the ratio is probably off. Yeah, no, absolutely. David, so t- tell us a little bit more about Teal. Like, how did, like, why did you decide to find, uh, start it and tell us more? Yes, yeah, so one of the things that I've realized is just too many people don't know what they don't know. And you end up learning them in your career the hard way. It's like trying to drive cross country, but people only telling you not the way to go. And you only learn when you got off the highway, every wrong turn. And it takes you three times, four times as long and you're frustrated. And I feel like careers are very, very similar. People treat them in this like very reactive way. You know, unfortunately you get laid off or let go. Well, now you got to learn what a severance agreement is. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, now you got to learn what a, how to roll over a 401k. You know, oh, you've missed enough interviews. Now you got to figure out like how to interview better. And I said, you know, I know that it's one, we generally struggle to be proactive with these highly intrinsic things like career growth, but it was really about encouraging people and equipping them to manage their careers in this proactive way. And using that same driving analogy, I was like, well, what if we could build like a ways for your career that has all this data, has all this infrastructure and can help you. You still get to choose, right? When I put an address in ways, it gives me three choices. I pick which one I want. It's not driving my car for me, but now I know that there's a collective infrastructure and data that's helping me make better decisions. And that was really what I want to do. Cause I said, if we could do that, so many, and we could just help the people know what they don't know in advance and they can still choose to ignore it, but now they don't even have that choice to ignore it because they just don't know. So compensation, employment agreements, how to interview, you know, all these things that are kind of known tactics that people could take. And unfortunately, you also have a disproportionate like disadvantage to the folks that don't know. Right. So it's like, there's like the thin rare air of those that know because they were born into it. And that's, and so it, And then the way you get to it is usually through services and coaching and things that are expensive. So I said, the way that we can really make this accessible to everybody is if we do it through technology and it doesn't cost hours and have to pay people, you know, that warrant high fees and high rates. It's like, how could we cover at least the majority of the issues with technology? And then sure, like those that then they can get that success then they can pay for the consulting and the services and the coaching, but like, let's, let's cover more ground. Um, and help more people through technology. And and so that's what we're building. We're we're very focused on the job search right now. The goal is to eventually be the whole career, but really focus on building tooling and instrumentation to help people run a really effective, managed and measured job search. 
And so this wouldn't even be sponsored by the company. It would be more like self, like individually. So that way it doesn't, it follows you no matter where you're working. A hundred percent. That's I, you know, our business, we don't take money from employers. You know, we're exploring some ideas on how we can, you know, right now when, when there's layoffs, companies do a thing called outplacement where they pay to help people land jobs, but they're essentially paying for a premium membership of Teal that stays with the person. Yeah. Zero obligation. We don't take money from companies to place people. Um, you know, we're very much on the side of the candidate and we're really trying to be like the first truly direct to consumer career management platform because everything else sells into HR and is B2B. And I understand why, because the consumer's not used to paying for this. There's not a history of it. I don't have like a mental slot for budget for this. You know, that money is like for Netflix and things for fun and my gym and my health and my mental health. For my career, I've usually like abdicated that to HR, but the world's changing, right? You see the great resignation, job tenure is shorter than ever. And so we really believe that there's a place in people's you know, personal budgets to pay for infrastructure that helps them grow their career. No, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It's the same reason why, like, I, the way I work with clients, is like, I, it's a performance base, but where the clients pay me, not the companies, because that way mm-hmm. I have the client's best interest in mind, right? So you have the, the career, like the individual's best interest in mind, not the company. And you're not doing things to like help retention. No, it's like, do they, should they, should they stay there? Yes. If the company's treating the employees good, if they you know, if the compensation is there, the benefits are there, they should absolutely stay there. But if they're not, why, what, like paying an another company to, to, for like to help influence why they should stay there might not be the best way. So um, I love it. And, and where can they find more information? If somebody listening to this wants to learn more about TO, what is the best way to do so? Yeah, so our platform is 100% free. It's ad supported. We're working on some premium features, but we are fully committed to the majority of the tools within Teal being free forever for everyone. Uh, And you can get them at Teal, like the color, T-E-A-L-H-Q.com. You just sign up and you're off to the races. There's a Chrome extension that like helps you bookmark jobs from any job board. It works with Handshake, Indeed. LinkedIn, I think like 50 plus job boards. We pull in the job description, highlight the keywords for you. Then we've got step-by-step guidance. We've got this really cool resume builder that makes it super fast and easy to customize your resume. Um, We've got a whole series of courses and content that help you interview better. We've got a personality assessment and every day we're adding more and more to it. No, that's amazing. Uh, I think that's an amazing tool. I'm definitely going to check it out, share with all my mentees. Um, David, thank you so much for for coming to the show. It's been amazing. And everybody listening, thank you for listening and definitely check out Teal. Awesome. Thanks, Daniel. I, I really appreciate you having me on. Well, if you're listening to this, you have made it to the end of the episode. In the time of distraction, the fact that you're listening to this means you truly care about your career. And to reward you for that, My team and I will be hosting free one-on-one strategy sessions for podcast listeners only. So if you want to get a strategy session to speak with me or someone on my team, look at the link in the show notes to schedule your free call. Thank you so much for listening and catch you guys on the next episode.